We sort of, I can speak on behalf of the entire team from Chicago, we feel a little bit like that boy with the two fish and the loaves that Jesus is like, who has food for this crowd of 5,000? And we're like, we just have this. And, um, and the Lord just, he, he does what he does. It's such a gift to us. And um, we know that we, we only offer what, uh, what he's given us. So um, my topic this morning is about Jesus, the fount of healing. And so I wanted to ask, um, what are some of the images that you have in your imagination for uh, glory, for the new heaven and the new earth, for that day when we all are with Jesus face to face and we're in our new resurrected bodies? What are some of the images that you have? Um, it's always interesting to me what images children have about glory. Um, when I asked my daughter when she was three what she thought it would be like when we were all with Jesus together, she said, I hope it's like one giant marshmallow that we can jump up and down on, and then when we get tired, we can just eat it. <laughs> I had another friend who was walking down a beach with his uh, four-year-old son, and they uh, unfortunately came across a dead seagull there on the beach. And uh, the, my friend, who's the father, said to his son, oh, it looks like that seagull died and went to heaven. And his four-year-old son said, well, did God throw him back down? <laughs> but my favorite is the story that my mom told me. She was a kindergarten teacher for most of her life. And uh, it was just a normal exercise of drawing something in the kindergarten class. And there was this one precocious young five-year-old girl and when my mom came to her and said, what is that you're drawing? She said, I'm drawing God. And my mom responded, well, no one knows what God looks like. And she said, they will soon. <laughs> <laughs> this rich and robust topic about Jesus, the fount of healing, and, and what we are meant for, where we are meant to be what will be our eternal lives. I um, brought out this baptismal font because I want it to be a symbol for us that's pulled out of these rich passages that were read for us from Ezekiel and from the Gospel of John. And then I'll talk about our struggle from um, what Paul writes in Romans. Um, the, this topic is urgent. Um, it's why we care so much about healing because most of us have received some kind of healing in our lives. Even just coming to know Jesus is the primary and central healing of our lives, of healing the gap, the chasm between man and God, and building a relationship uh, with him. But our families in America and across the world are breaking apart, and children are being raised without a mother or a father or without both. Many churches are abandoning the gospel, and the results are that they diminish and they die. This generation of college students today are more confused than, than any other generation before, and they are hurting more than any other generation. The culture is giving you the worst advice that you could ever hear, and it's literally ruining lives. But most of us, I believe, desire to be a part of a community, a part of a church where the lost will not only encounter the love of Jesus, but will be transformed. By his love. 
So we believe that Jesus is the fount of healing. Because Jesus' death and his resurrection, his actual body is the fountain. What happened on the cross is the basis of all healing because forgiveness is the fundamental healing that we all need. Jesus' death on the cross heals that yawning gap between God and man. And the body of Jesus is the fountain of life and the healing. And, and, and it was described hundreds of years before he died. And so looking, if you want to look at your Bibles in Ezekiel, I'm going to refer to a few things here because it's hard to remember what was just read. Ezekiel 47. And I'm hopping around in this chapter. But it's a picture of the temple. How many of you have been to Jerusalem and seen the Temple Mount? And you know where that Dome of the Rock is and the entrance to uh, where the Holy of Holies was in the temple. It faced east, right? And do you remember what's east of the temple and the Temple Mount? It's the Kidron Valley and then the uh, Mount of Olives. And on going up the Mount of Olives, you have the Garden of Gethsemane. Right, And so the idea is on, on Palm Sunday, Jesus comes from the east and, and crests the top of the Mount of Olives and that processional with the palms begins going down the Mount of Olives through the Garden of Gethsemane into the Kidron Valley and back up entering the Temple Mount through the gate called Beautiful that we've heard a story of healing about in the, the book of Acts. Okay, so that's the orientation. And here's the description in Ezekiel. Then the angel brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from the thresh, below the threshold of the temple toward the east. The temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar, right? So what side of the altar is that? It's the right side, right? The south side of the altar. And so from the right side of the altar is issuing this water, this stream. And then here's the description of the water. It flows towards the eastern region and enters the sea. Does anyone know what sea is east of Jerusalem? Dead Sea, Dead sea right? And how would you describe the Dead Sea? Using one word? Dead, Dead. Dead right? <laughs> There's so much salt, nothing lives. And it's uh, right around the Qumran community where the, uh, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and uh, it is desert. I mean, there's not a blade of grass in sight when you go there. And so it says, wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. So everything will live where the river goes. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, and now we're beginning to recall images from Revelation, right? The banks on both sides of the river, they will grow all kinds of trees for food. Revelation says it's the tree of life growing on both sides of the river. And their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, which gets me really excited living in Chicago during this season. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Revelation says for the healing of the nations. Okay, this is an image hundreds of years before Jesus comes. And here is um, what I think is really exciting. The water flowing from the side of the altar. 
specifically the right side of the altar, bringing life and healing wherever it goes. If you remember from the crucifixion story, on the cross as Jesus hung, right after he died, what did the soldier do? Pierced his side. Do you know what side? His right side. And then what poured out of his side? Blood and water. Go ahead. And so this blood and this water flow from the right side of Jesus, which we uh, sort of allude to when, when the deacon sets the table and water is poured into the wine. It's this picture of the water and the blood that pour out. It's a baptismal and, and Eucharistic wine picture. It's why the, the miracle at the wedding in Cana is so significant. Jesus turns water into wine. The human into the divine is what sort of Christologically portrayed there. And that is the fulfillment of this Ezekiel passage because it's what pours out of Jesus for the life of the world that brings life wherever it goes. Now, we do believe to some degree that there's a literal fulfillment of this, that there really is a river of life that is still to come, that we are all able to jump in and swim in and bathe in. The fountain of healing is from the heart of Jesus, which we have access to because his heart was pierced for us. And the blood and the water flow out as a stream from the altar that grows into a rushing river, a living river filled with the water of life, even from the gospel passage that Val read for us this morning, bringing life wherever it goes. And we receive his body. We receive this this water and blood in the Eucharistic feast when we come to the communion table and we receive. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Let him come and drink. Because whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he said this about the Spirit. The resurrection includes within it the belief in eternal life, because that's what the resurrection is for. The idea of resurrecting from the dead means there is no more death, that this body that Jesus lives in will not die again. And when we put our hope in the resurrection and our being raised from the dead, it's a belief that we will not die again. It has within it the belief in eternal life. It may seem counterintuitive, but a firm belief in the life to come The glory of heaven is essential to healing now in this world. And here's why. We have to believe in that future kingdom and in the Jerusalem that is above if we are to ask God to bring that which is future into the present and that which is above to bring it here below. If we are rock solid on our belief that everyone will finally and fully be healed on that day who believe in Jesus, then we can hold loosely, friends, to the timing of God's answer to our prayers because we know we will be fully healed. So we can hold loosely to the timing because it will happen. But if we don't believe in that last day, then our belief in God's ability to heal here and now will be crippled. We will have an element of nervousness when we pray for healing and insecurity because our faith in God to heal will in part be dependent on whether or not he heals in this particular instant. 
But if we believe in the resurrection, we know that our prayers will be answered. It's just a matter of when. So we look to the Eucharistic feast, to the table, to communion, where Jesus instructed us to use bread and wine to remember his sacrifice. And so we receive and we remember. God ministers his presence to us using the bread and the wine as the vehicles of his presence into our very bodies. It is a a sacrament of his grace and of his presence. We receive more than the bread and the wine. We receive the presence and the power of God into our mortal bodies. His presence by the Spirit of God begins to restore that which has been broken by sin. The communion feast, the Eucharistic table, is a healing place for us where we receive what God has for us. And friends, we cannot reach the lost if we can't offer healing for their wounds. There has to be a restoration and a transformation of souls. The two most common wounds in all of my years of ministry that I've seen over and over again is a kind of sexual wounding and a struggle with anxiety or depression. They seem somehow to universally impact every person. I've rarely encountered a human being who has not struggled in some way with one of these two problems. And they can be devastating. They can be life-controlling. And they can rob you of meaningful good in your life. But we were made for so much more. Have you ever asked the question, is this all there is? Is this as good as this life gets? If you have, it's because God put that thought in your heart. Because he wants to lead you to greater things. He wants to lead you to more. There are some burdens, friends, that you've learned to manage in your life that you don't even know that you are meant to live without those burdens. And they've just been there always in your life. But God can help you lay those burdens down in a way that you didn't know you could. You didn't know that there was a, um, a, a way of living with less burden in your life. There's this great quote. I think it's the character Diggory, so Val can correct me. It's from that, uh, that first Chronicles of Narnia. The magician's nephew. The magician's nephew. He comes into... Uh, <laughs> no, it's in the last battle, actually, but it's the character okay. from the magician's nephew. He comes into uh, uh, you know, the, the figurative heaven, the, the Aslan's country, and he says about the resurrection from the dead, it feels as if I have been unstiffened, right? It's a beautiful picture of being elderly and just having the experience of being unstiffened. Wouldn't you like that? Those of you who are my age and older, wouldn't you love to be unstiffened? We can live with less burden. We can lay our burdens down. If you... Um, it, you, we may not have found the way to live unstiffened or unburdened yet, but I believe God will lead us because he wants to bring us closer and give us something. I believe that he has something for you this morning. Do you want something from the Lord this morning? Amen. Are you hopeful Come on. that God will minister his presence to you? And it will change your life. One of the passages that ministers deeply to me that was read here from Romans, Paul, he so validates my life. 
um, in his book, Romans, this constant barrage of temptation. This is what he writes. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. We call this the doo-doo passage. (laughs) There are so many verbs to do. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. But it goes on to my favorite part at the end of this, because I just, I get caught up in this passage, and I'm like, yes, that's me, that's my life. And at the end, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's almost as if he's peeking and shouting. And then he responds with the answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He will deliver us from our sin nature, our struggles with temptation. These verses describe the battle that we are in with unholy desires. We all have them. We were created with these holy longings for good. But sin has corrupted our holy longings so that we experience them now as unholy struggles. And everyone has unwanted desires, unwanted passions, and unwanted appetites. And this is what Jesus desires to do for us. His goal is to present us at the end of our lives when we see him face to face, to present us to the Father as perfect, as complete, as whole. So all our prayers for healing and for wholeness do get answered and do get fulfilled. But how do we live in the tension between now, when we are not whole, when we struggle with our sins, and then the complete fulfillment of our holy longings? What does healing look like now? How do we live in this tension? How do we live with these unwanted passions and desires? Well, one thing I think is an encouragement to us is that I believe God uses broken people in the kingdom, that he uses people who are incomplete to preach the gospel, to minister healing. God uses broken people to change other people's lives. He has probably used someone broken and incomplete in your life to minister something good to you. He uses broken and sinful people to share the love of Jesus to minister healing, to help with sinful addictions or severe blind spots and to perform miracles. We all know and hear the public criticism of uh, pastors, leaders, ministers who had some good going on in their life but also struggled in some significant way. Friends, they're no worse off than you or me because we are the same. God uses us to do good things but we are still sinners. And we are still struggling. So that's the word of encouragement. God can use you in this tension as you are. But he has a path of healing laid out for you, for each one of us. And it doesn't end until we die. And Jesus does the final work of healing until we are whole. So we're called to follow the Holy Spirit down that journey. And we know that things like confessing your sins, repenting of them, receiving forgiveness, those things are extremely important to be free of the shame and the self-hatred that we live with that affects us. We know that extending forgiveness to people who have hurt us, even those beloved enemies like parents or family members or close friends who have betrayed us, that forgiving them, releasing the debt that they owe us, 
is extremely important for healing and wholeness, and that those two things apply to every person. We also know that our healing issues will keep surfacing until we bring them to Jesus. You can't hide them forever. You can't stuff them and hope that they never sneak out because they do. They come out sideways. It's a little bit like um, a college dorm room with a garbage can where the college students have tried to cram as much garbage into that can as possible and still keep a lid on it, right? Doesn't matter how tight the lid is, it still stinks. And people can smell it. So you can't hide your brokenness forever. And it'll keep coming up. And we see these patterns of dysfunction and unhealthy ways of relating repeat themselves in Christians in their relationships over and over again until they are healed, until they are brought into the light of Jesus. John Paul II's Theology of the Body gives us a vision for healing. The basic premise of his Theology of the Body is this. God inscribed his very own vocation to love as he loves in our bodies by creating us male and female and calling us to be one flesh. Therefore, we proclaim with our bodies the gospel. The flesh is the hinge of salvation, he says. In the sacraments, spirit and matter kiss one another. Heaven and earth embrace in a union that will never end. John Paul II says that the human body is in itself, in some sense, a sacrament. The body is so good that you cannot even fathom it. God is a communion of love within the Trinity, and we're destined to share in the mutual exchange of love in the Trinity. And God created us male and female so that we could image his love by becoming a sincere gift to each other. And if the body and sex are meant to proclaim our union with God, then that is certainly what the enemy will attack and distort and corrupt in order to separate us from God, in order to separate us from knowing what it's like to be in the mutual self-giving love that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit share. And, if, and we must be kept, the enemy must keep us from recognizing this mystery in our own bodies. So lust replaces the sacrificial giving of ourselves. John Paul II defines lust as self-seeking sexual desire. Lust is first and foremost a problem of the heart, not of the body. Our brokenness results in an emptiness, a neediness to take, to grasp, and to control for our own benefit. But John Paul II says the opposite of love is not hatred. Rather, it's to use someone as a means to our own selfish ends. That's the opposite of love. So the gospel of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh and making a total self-donation of his body for us and to invite us into the self-giving exchange with him and the Father and the Spirit by giving us his Spirit to indwell in us, this is meant to change our hearts so that we no longer need the law, the rules. Ezekiel promises, and I love this promise, friends, because it ministers to my struggle in Romans with the doo-doo passage. It's this promise to put his spirit in us to cause us to obey 
the Lord. The Spirit can change our lives, our attitudes, our hearts, yes, our sexual desires to cause us to obey the Lord. And we need, I need his help. I need the Spirit in me. So we're going to have a time of ministry and healing prayer at the end of our service during communion that's available to everyone. Because we're sacramental and we believe that matter matters. That God uses the sacraments and the sacramentals in our lives to minister his love and his grace to us. He knows that we're bodies. He knows that we need things that are tactile. We need to consume bread and wine, take them into us. We need to be washed in the waters of baptism. And we need to be reminded of the power of our baptisms. Water, the sacramental of water to minister the the sensation of forgiveness, of healing, of washing, and to live in the power of our baptisms. So we minister to each other using these waters as a symbol of God's effectual work in us. So we bring people to the living water that is represented by this water. So that this water that is alive with the presence of Jesus can touch every place within us. This water that is the person of Jesus that can reorder whatever has been disordered in the soul by sin. And we will have prayer ministers, our team, those that have been a part of this healing conference on the prayer team available to pray for each one of you. To minister the love and the transforming power of God to your hearts. Do you believe or hope that he has something for you today? Come to the waters and receive. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We cannot give you enough thanks for the gratitude that is in our hearts for what you have done for us, that you have led us into a relationship with the Lord Jesus, that we know him, and partly we know his love for us, although you want us to know even more the unconditional, unmerited love of Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would stretch forth your hand this morning and that you would minister an impartation of the love of God to each human heart. That we would come away from today empowered to follow you and obey you and that our sin struggles would diminish. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.